Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Do You Know Her? I'm your co-host Javeria. And I'm your other co-host Jania. And for this week's episode, think of the worst family beef you've ever had. And it probably doesn't match up to this one because heads rolled, literally. So this week we are speaking about Elizabeth I and Mary Queen of Scots, kind of to coincide with the film that's just coming out this week about them. Elizabeth I... She was the Queen of England from 1558 until she died in 1603. And she is pretty damn iconic if I do so so myself. There's a reason that we call her era the Elizabethan era, as opposed to the Tudor era. Uh, Tudor era. So what I'm looking to address here is kind of like the context of her early life and what might have happened then to kind of influence her decisions later on. All will be made clear later on. So... She was the child of Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII's second wife, and Henry VIII. So Henry VIII, he was desperate to have a son. There was like a whole thing, you might have heard about it, where he went through six wives and split him from the Catholic Church and a whole thing. So he split from the Catholic Church to annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon, his first wife. So part of his justification was, oh, she was married to his brother. And Leviticus says that you shouldn't be married to your brother's wife because that's wrong. But you know what? The Old Testament says a lot of things. So he annulled his marriage and caused like a split in the church and established the Church of England. And he married Anne Boleyn. And both Henry and Anne were like convinced that they were having a boy. So it was especially significant because Henry already had a daughter called Mary with Catherine of Aragon. And I think he had like some illegitimate children with them. Include One of them included a son. So he was like convinced in his ability to have a son. So obviously he's not the problem. The women are, as you do. And so they were very, very sure that they were having a boy and they had like all these like massive celebrations and stuff prepared because in those times, like when a princess was born, they tend to have it more like low key. So 7th September 1533, a child is born and the child is a girl. And Henry took it pretty, pretty personally, I would say, like they'd already like prepared letters to say a prince has been born. They'd already prepared like celebratory tournaments and all sorts, but those were cancelled, kind of, you know, probably edited the little letters a little bit and there you go there's a daughter jk we thought we were gonna have a boy but actually it's a girl if you guys could please take back your soccer and baseball shirts and please exchange them for unicorns um that would be great sorry we didn't know because we had no way of knowing in the 1500s what would be what sorry <laughs> hope you got a gift receipt so you can bring those gifts back girl <laughs> so obviously like his divorce from his previous marriage and everything mary his child had been she'd been like the princess before and she'd been like downgraded to like the lady mary and then he made mary join elizabeth's household so mary would be like a teenager at this point this is like mary who'd be mary first she joins elizabeth's household and I guess, like, you know, some sort of resentment would be building there, because why wouldn't you? He's, you know, the guy that's meant to be your dad and looking out for you. He's, like, cast your mother aside, locked her up somewhere, and he's made you part of the household of this little baby that is your half-sibling. So, as it was, Anne Boleyn ended up being beheaded in 1536 for high treason, adultery, incest, witchcraft. There's basically, like, a shopping list going on because Henry wanted a reason to get rid of her. She hadn't had a son, she just kept having miscarriages uh, miscarriages after Elizabeth. And obviously, you know, nothing could be his fault because he was the king. It was obviously a problem with the woman. Gets rid of Anne, she's beheaded. Elizabeth was two years old and eight months at the time. And she has the same fate as her older half-sister. So she was like declared illegitimate and she was now the Lady Elizabeth as opposed to Princess Elizabeth. Eleven days after Anne is beheaded, Henry gets married to wifey number three, Jane Seymour. You know, he moves on quickly, that one. Uh, Jane Seymour gave birth to Edward in 1537. And 
it wasn't a stable childhood in not in any kind of way, shape or manner because it there was like there's a point where the governess, so the lady that kind of like ran Elizabeth's household and looked after her, she ended up having to write to the king and saying, Look, your daughter's outgrown her clothes, she's got like nothing for her, you know someone we need some help here um jane died days after giving birth to edward and it was just still more upheaval from there because he goes through six wives remember wifey number four he kind of kind of he divorced that one as well said oh, whatever the whole other story there wife five so that's Catherine howard she's actually a cousin of anne boleyn who's elizabeth elizabeth's mother and Catherine was a teenager at the time and she kind of like brought Elizabeth into court sometimes so it was kind of like a high point after like you know years of kind of just being shunted over to the side and ignored but she was executed for adultery as well when Elizabeth was eight so she gets to eight years old she's already had three stepmothers and two of them are dead and it's from there that people kind of speculate that that's where she kind of builds her like not resentment, but kind of desire to not want to get married because she's seen how easily her dad has thrown these women to the side. So another thing that was kind of interesting about Elizabeth at the time, like obviously she was a daughter of the king, even though she was not acknowledged legally as like a legitimate heir or whatever else. She received a really like amazing education and she's been cited by her contemporaries as like one of the best educated women of her generation. She ended up being like, she ended up knowing French, Flemish, Italian, Spanish, and she could write in English, Latin and Italian. Uh, Catherine Parr was Henry VIII's final wife and she kind of took on this role where she tried to improve Henry's relationships with both his daughters. Like she kind of tried to bring them back into like, you know, the family and into court. Everything. There was one incident where Elizabeth got sent away but then Catherine Parr kind of like interceded on her behalf. Henry dies in 1547. Elizabeth's about 13 at this point about to turn 14 possibly and because of this because of the crown going to the male heir it goes to her brother Edward who is nine years old at this time. Catherine Parr ends up getting married to Thomas Seymour. He's Edward's uncle and she might have had a thing with him in the past we don't know. So Elizabeth kind of opts to go and move in with her and bear in mind Elizabeth is about 13, 14 at the time. She's a young teenager. There ended up being like concerns about Thomas Seymour and Elizabeth's kind of interactions and there were like concerns noted by the governess and maybe Catherine Parr herself because Elizabeth ends up being kind of, she leaves the household but she's still on good terms with Catherine herself so she like you know wrote to Catherine during her pregnancy and everything and then Catherine Parr dies in 1548 I think complications from childbirth so Thomas Seymour here again there was a lot of kind of like dodginess and contention over his intentions with Elizabeth bearing in mind he's like he must be in his 40s at that point and Elizabeth was still a young teenager um so because Edward's a child his court is kind of being ran by a lord protector and that was another one of his uncles but then Thomas kind of he's like he wants to build his own kind of power base so what he came up with was a plot so he wanted to like kidnap Edward marry him to Lady Jane Grey who's like a distant cousin of Elizabeth and Edwards. And then what he wanted to do was he would want to marry Elizabeth himself and then take his brother's place as the Lord Protector, basically run the country while the kids are all young because they're, they're all literally children. And this causes what I would call a shitstorm for Elizabeth because at that time it was high treason for someone in the royal family to marry without having the monarch's consent. So she would literally need her little brother's consent to get married to anyone that she wanted to get married to. That's kind of annoying. Yeah, just a bit. I mean, it's still it's still kind of informed today. Like, you know, when William or Harry or whoever wanted to get married, they have to, like, ask the Queen for, like, official consent. But it's not, like, world-ending and hold as much weight as... Yeah. So, like, when the King's Council, like, investigating this plot that Thomas Seymour has come up with, this old, this, like, kind of behaviour from when Elizabeth was living with Thomas Seymour, Catherine Parr comes up again. I think, I think at one point the um, governess... 
testifiers and she had like this like written report and everything. So Thomas Seymour is arrested in 1549. Elizabeth gets questioned and this is really crucial for her because she needed to get this right. So she's questioned, she denies everything and she kind of, she is, she isn't, she isn't charged with like high treason and everything. So obviously that's a good outcome for her because treason gets your head chopped off. And Thomas Seymour gets executed. Um, it is still pretty unstable because Edward, he it kind of becomes known that he he's kind of weak and dying. So he, I think, it was tuberculosis. I think they called it consumption at the time. But he's like you know slowly dying, and they start making plans around him to kind of shore up who should be following him as heir, because Edward is pretty devoutly Protestant. But Mary the First, well, the lady that will become Mary the First, his old sister, by law she is she is the successor to the throne, but she was a Catholic, and Edward's new Lord Protector, because the other one got ditched after all the drama, Duke of Northumberland, he kind of starts making his own plot. So he gets Edward's will changed. He makes his daughter-in-law Jane Grey the heir, and he makes Mary and Elizabeth illegitimate, and. What happened when Edward dies, Jane was like queen for literally like nine days, but then she gets defeated by Mary and her popular support because people threw their support behind Mary because she was meant to be the direct rightful heir to the throne. You would think it'd be okay from then on, but no, because Mary was a very, very devout Catholic. Like It gets to the point where she's known as Bloody Mary because she just has lots and lots and lots of Protestants killed. Um, and she, she wants to get married to Philip II of Spain, um, so Mary the First makes it known that she wants to make it. She wants to get married to Philip the Second of Spain, and it kind of triggers this rebellion. So Sir Thomas Wyatt the Younger, who's like a politician, he is a rebellion that gets known as Wyatt's Rebellion because of Sir Thomas Wyatt the Younger. He raises a rebellion, and his plan is to get this rebellion going, get Elizabeth married to a guy called Lord Devon, and get rid of Mary. Um, this plot literally got Jane Grey beheaded because after the whole nine-day queen thing, she's been locked up ever since. And yeah, so Jane and her husband get beheaded. Elizabeth gets like really, really intensely interrogated and she gets thrown into the Tower of London, which was the same place that her mother was locked up. But she was like intensely scared of it all. Like she was expecting the worst. And she needed to prove that she... Her story basically was that she was like completely unaware of this all happening, of this like plot being conjured up. Um, nothing, they couldn't really find proof or like hard evidence to tie her to the plot. But we don't know like in modern times if she actually was or not. But like kind of as a precaution, Mary kept her locked up in house arrest for a year, and it kind of just helps build this resentment because compared to Mary, Elizabeth was like young, she was pretty, she was popular. And she had like support building up because that much was obvious. If someone's willing to like come up with this whole plot and get her on the throne, then there's support. There's like you know no smoke without fire, something like that. And it's something that it kind of stuck. That experience of being locked up in the tower stuck with Elizabeth for the rest of her life. So we get to about 1555, and Elizabeth is still not back in the court or anything else. But Mary is pregnant. Or so she thinks, and she calls Elizabeth to court because she would be heir to the throne if, in the chance that Mary doesn't make it, but her baby does. But um, it kind of turns out that Mary wasn't pregnant. She was kind of having like a phantom pregnancy, 
so like her body was reacting as if she was but she wasn't actually and then it gets to a point where Mary is getting ill and Philip II, so her husband, he kind of he kind of dipped for a bit, like after they got married, like he wasn't interested in in Mary or in sticking around. So Philip thinks that Elizabeth is a better ally than one certain Mary Queen of Scots, because Mary Queen of Scots was raised in France. He didn't rock with that because at that time it was like England versus Scotland versus France versus Spain. It was like a free for all. Everyone just kept switching alliances back and forth, like getting into that. I don't think I could wrap my head around it, but yeah, so they make those plans while Mary first is dying and she eventually kind of recognises Elizabeth as her heir. Mary dies in November 1558. Elizabeth is 25 years old and she's made Queen of England. And she has a huge task on her hands to say the least because as with a lot of historical events, religion is one big massive contention point. Like even things like her title would turn into this whole kind of debate and hoo-ha like she had to accept a title as supreme governor of the church of england instead of supreme head because the bishops and everyone else they didn't like the implication of a woman being named supreme head of the church and not the supreme governor and where i'm going to wrap up with this is that a lot of elizabeth's legacy kind of centers on her decision never to get married um that's not to say that she didn't have relationships or anything i mean there were a lot of like kind of implications made about men in her life and favourites and possible suitors but ultimately she didn't end up getting married and it was kind of like a um, image created around her being the virgin queen so she would how she would portray it is she would call, she would say that she was married to her subject and her kingdom like there's one quote of her where she says she was she spoke she talked about all my husbands my good people so she was married to like the throne and being the monarch that England needed as opposed to a mortal man because no matter who she married like if she married an English noble or if she married like a foreign king or whoever else it was always going to be an issue no matter what and so yeah that's Elizabeth the first of England okay um, okay so that could lead into Mary Queen of Scots who Janae is going to talk about and there's quite a lot of overlap there so I'll let her take it on from here okay so uh, Mary Queen of Scots. I'm gonna just preface this by saying, like, she has a wild, very wild life. Like, <laughs> she's the she's the wild cousin. Like Elizabeth kind of had all this like shit going on in her early life, and she, by the time she got older, she was like, "Man, I don't want any of this drama." Anymore. Yeah, like Elizabeth, it it tapers off after a while, but Mary's life is a wild ride from start to finish. To be honest, like. And also, Mary's life is the perfect example of why you have to keep good friends around you at all times. <laughs> you have to keep, like, people in your corner at all times because sis just... Anyway, okay, we're going to get into it. So, Mary Queen of Scots is also... I don't know how to pronounce Scottish shit, so, like, if I mess it up, whatever. Um, she's born in Lin Linlithgow Palace in West Lothian, Lothian on December 8th, 1542. And she actually becomes Queen of Scots when she's only six days old because her dad, King James V, ends up dying. So at six days old, she's already running the scene. She's like, give me the formula, give me my nap, Go ahead and put the crown on me. I have things to do. Like already at six days old, she's out here. Mary of Guise, who's a French woman, is her mom. And the Guise family in 
actually, it's probably not even gauze. It's probably like glisse or something like that. I don't know. It's G-U-I-S-E. I studied Spanish in school. I didn't study French. So it's probably like glisse. And um, uh, Henry VIII is actually her uncle, like her great uncle. And I think that's because Henry VIII's sister, Margaret, is her grandmother. So when her dad dies, her mom, Mary of Guise, becomes uh, the regent. And Henry VIII, with his shady ass, tries to, like, control, like, he tries to get the regency to basically by saying, like, you know, she's a tutor by blood, like, I should be helping. And the way that he tries to do this is he actually tries to arrange a marriage between, um, Mary and his son Edward but like it falls through because the Roman Catholics take over and they're not they're not feeling that shit at all so that gets canceled so he tries to get the regency but he doesn't um at age five she gets sent to live in France and she's raised in the court of King Henry II of France and his wife Catherine of Catherine de Medici and of course she's from that whole like you know Medici family in Italy so she's raised in the French court actually and her mom's family the Guises are also there too so basically like she's only living in Scotland for like the first five years of her life so once she gets over to France she's out here like she's really good at dancing and she's like a pro at hunting but she's also really educated too so while she's there she learns Latin Spanish Spanish, Italian, Greek, and then French becomes her first language. So pretty much at this point, Mary is like only a Scottish person by birth because she's been raised in France. So she tends to be described as like, when you think of what a Renaissance princess would be, she's the person you tend to think of. So she's very tall and skinny. She's apparently like 5'10", 5'11", reddish blonde hair, you know, like bright brown eyes. Like she's She's who you think of. She ends up marrying Henry II and Catherine's son, Francis, in 1558, but he was still, like, a little boy, so the marriage isn't ever consummated because, like, that's disgusting. So, <laughs> but they apparently were, like, really tight. Like, I'm assuming she must have kind of viewed him as, like, a little brother almost because they were raised together and he was much younger than her. She was said to be pretty fond of him but again like they got married and nothing came of it and the whole reason they got married was because france wanted to become allies with scotland so they were trying to kind of cultivate that relationship um but then a couple things happened so basically what happens is in 8 1860 lol in 1560 francis dies and when he dies um this means that uh, uh, Mary is a widow by the time she's 18. So she's already been through quite a bit. So her dad dies when she's six days old. She has to move away from her mom and live around strangers, essentially. But, you know, they kind of become family to her, I guess. So while all that's going on, Elizabeth Tudor comes to the throne in 1558. And this means that theoretically, Mary was supposed to be the next in line because Henry VIII was her great uncle on her grandma's side. So... The Roman Catholics in England thought that Elizabeth wasn't like a legitimate queen because Henry VIII divorced Catherine of Aragon and when he married Anne Boleyn. They thought that marriage was invalid because like he his divorce didn't count and, you know, his marriage to Anne Boleyn didn't count. Therefore, Mary would have been the lawful queen. Right. So Mary's father-in-law, Henry II of France, he ends up claiming the English throne on her behalf. So even he, the King of France, comes out and says, yes, Mary is the lawful queen of England. But he dies in 1559, the year before Francis dies. So 
Francis is only a king for a year, and Mary is only the queen consort of France for a year. And so by the time that he dies, Mary has briefly, very, very briefly been the queen of France. Um, she had Henry in her corner, but then he died. So she decides in 1561, you know what? I'm going to just go back to Scotland. I'm just go back there. So the thing is, though, <laughs> Scotland is a very, very, very different place from France. And a lot of what she learns there, it's just not preparing her for what she experiences when she gets to Scotland. And there's quite a bit of like hostility and everything there. And so the thing is, when she goes back to Scotland, the fact that she has such a close tie to the English throne, Elizabeth doesn't like that. And Elizabeth refuses to acknowledge that Mary would be the person to succeed her in case, succeed her? succeed her in case of her death and um but you know mary is still like no like i'm i'm english still because of my family and elizabeth is not fucking with that shit at all she's like no you are not like stay away from us you little country bumpkin like she's take your take my name out of your mouth basically go yes like keep my name out of your mouth you are not here you've never been to england girl we don't like you like we don't even know you she does not like her at all so mary actually is a roman catholic because she lived in France. Um, she's a Roman Catholic and the official religion of Scotland got changed while she was in, while she was in France. It got changed to Protestantism. It got reformed. And so when she comes back, um, John Knox, who's a Calvinist preacher and an asshole, like basically tells her that she's a foreign queen. She's in, she's of an alien religion. You know, like they're very dramatic, especially where like the Reformation is concerned. And he, if I'm not mistaken, he also wrote like this, um, this treaty or whatever, uh, about Mary, the first Mary who came before, uh, Elizabeth and basically said she was like the worst thing ever, an instrument of the devil, you know, all the classics. And then Elizabeth comes along and he's like, uh, JK, she's so awesome. So when this Mary comes back to Scotland, he's just like, Oh, another one of these. So the biggest issue, though, is the Scottish nobles, because they're very like, they only care about like issues between themselves. They really don't care about supporting any king or queen. They just care about like promoting themselves, making themselves look good, trying to get power for themselves as much as possible. So they're useless right? They aren't really taking any particular side. The first couple of years that she ruled is not terrible. She has a half brother named James, who is the Earl of Moray. And he kind of helps her with this policy of religious tolerance. So like, she's trying to keep the peace because there's John Knox guy who doesn't like her. There's these nobles who are always causing problems. There's Elizabeth. So she kind of needs some help. (sighs) Everything is going well until it isn't. And this is why it isn't going well. The second marriage she has is to um, her cousin, her first cousin, Henry Stewart. And he is the Earl of Darnley. And this happens in 1865. So this is like the beginning of the end for her. This is a fucking disaster. It's terrible. The big reason why it's terrible is she married him because she was in love with him, which is stupid. You don't do that during this time. Okay. You make a little business arrangement. You go stay in the summer home somewhere in France because you probably own land there and you just let the distance take care of itself. She wasn't doing it. So Elizabeth's kind of concern was to get her cousin married off. And she suggested a guy called Robert Dudley, who was the Earl of Leicester, But the thing with Robert Dudley and Elizabeth was that they kind of had a flirtation going on themselves. Like, Robert was kind of known as her favourite. And, like, Elizabeth really, really liked him. Like, when his first wife died, because she mysteriously fell down the stairs, quote-unquote, 
um, Elizabeth, he he kind of like didn't get married again for her sake. But then when he did get married again to someone who was like a distant cousin of Elizabeth, Elizabeth banished him and his new wife from court because she was pissed. But she still suggested this guy for Mary at some point. Oh, wow. Okay. So Mary didn't do that. <laughs> she did not do that. She married this darling guy because she was in love with him. He was a steward, if that makes any difference, like S-T-U-A-R-T. And Elizabeth didn't want Mary to get married to him because he was technically another tutor because remember, they're first cousins. So he too is also a tutor. So the way that she's viewing this is like, okay, um, Mary, who's like my cousin, but is a tutor and the next person in line for the throne just married another guy who was also a tutor. So if they got together, like both of them together have a stronger claim than I do kind of thing. James, who's her, her half brother, he gets jealous because Darnley's family and his name is Henry Stewart, but I'm calling him Darnley because he's the Earl of that area. James is not feeling this shit because he's like, no, I'm your brother. I don't like this guy. Like he's trash. His whole family's trash. He was also really jealous of them too. And he ends up rebelling against Mary. So this is a problem because remember, like James is her biggest ally. He's her brother. He's the one who's kind of been helping her keep the peace. So when he's turning against her, it's like, it really, really goes downhill. Meanwhile, Donnelly is fucking terrible. He's like the worst husband ever. He's really mean really vicious. He has all these goals and lofty ambitions, but he's just very weak at the same time. And so, um, you know, Mary kind of starts to realize that this marriage was definitely a mistake because him and like a group of the Scottish nobles, they kill her secretary um, and someone who was like a very close friend to her, David Rizzio. They kill him in front of her in March 1566. And Mary is then convinced that he's going to try to kill her. So when this happens, she's like, okay, yeah, this is not shaking out the way I thought it would. Um, but they, she tries to like have a baby with him thinking that it would help the situation. Spoiler alert. It doesn't. Um, so never does. So she has a son named James and that doesn't help. So at this point, Mary is starting to look for a way out. Now word on the street is that she apparently developed an adulterous liaison with one James Hepburn, the fourth Earl of Bothwell, and was allegedly planning the death of Darnley, you know, so they could be divorced through death. But there's no evidence of this, <laughs> except for something called the casket letters, which are like these poems and letters that were allegedly written between Mary and Bothwell slash James Hepburn. They call people by the by the name of whatever their, you know, Earlidge is. So I'll be referring to him as Bothwell from here on out. Um, but historians have looked at these letters and been like, yeah, those are fake. We don't trust that. So there might have been something going on there, but we don't really know for sure. Um, either way, Mary starts getting pretty sick around 1566. And this is a problem she's going to have throughout the rest of her life. So she ends up getting in poor health from time to time. And while she's sick, of course, she's feeling very like despondent because so much stuff has happened over like the last six years. Like if you'll remember when Francis died in 1560, she was just 18 years old. So um, in 1566, she is, I believe, 24, if I'm adding, using my math correctly. <laughs> She's only 24, but she keeps getting sick. Her husband's trash. She had a baby. It didn't work out. Like, everything sucks. Her brother doesn't like her anymore. So she's understandably not feeling it. Um, so February 9th, 1567, uh, Darnley is, is sick, and he's hanging out at this house and recovering. And the house is on the edge of Edinburgh, and the house is called Kirkofield, which is a very Scottish thing, I feel like. But randomly while he's you know in the bed moaning and groaning from all being sick and everything the house gets blown up 
and yeah, the house gets blown up. And so as he's trying to escape, somebody strangles him while he's trying to leave the house. So he dies. And so of course, a lot of people point towards Mary and they say that she was in on it. So, and that's mostly because there's like conflicting accounts of what happened. And that one, one of my favorite theories is that Darnley was actually planning to blow up Mary. Like he was kind of waiting for her to be in the house so he could leave the house and kill her. Um, but that he got, yeah, but that he got caught in his own trap. But the generally agreed upon explanation is that it was the Scottish nobles who didn't like him. They're the ones who blew up the house. That's like the, you know, the fact. Yeah, the accepted thing. So whether she knew about it or not, the problem here is that um, she didn't have any people around her to be like, all right, girl, this is what we need to do next. We need to start planning. We need to do this. She didn't have this at all. So three months after this, she ends up marrying Bothwell. And Bothwell is like the main suspect in Darnley's death. So people are thinking, wait, you married the person who apparently killed your husband? Like, that looks very shady. There's like a letter Elizabeth wrote to Mary about it, basically. Um, she says, How could a worse choice be made for your honour than in such haste to marry such a subject who, besides other and notorious lacks, public fame, has charged with the murder of your late husband, besides the touching of yourself also in some part, though we trust in that behalf also. She's basically like, What the hell are you doing? Why are you marrying this guy? This guy is the one that everyone thinks murdered your husband. People think you did it as well, but we're just going to assume that's false. Right, right. And so, um, like I said, she is still sick. And so people think that like this decision to marry this guy is it maybe it could have been because of that because she just didn't have anyone and she just needed someone. Um, but she really sucks at managing the problems of Scotland by herself without any support. Bothwell is also a little, a little useless too. Got a type. Yeah, yeah. So they end up they end up getting, you know, separated because uh, Bothwell is exiled and imprisoned. And uh, this happens in what looks like 1567, but he dies in 1578. And so Mary is actually incarcerated um, on this island called Loch Levin. And she was formally deposed and her one-year-old son, James, becomes the guy. So in eight, so in 1567, he's sent off to exile and imprisonment. She's in, she's imprisoned on this island and her son James is the one who, um, who's now in the mix. Her supporters get defeated and something that she really shouldn't have done. She decides to seek refuge in England with Elizabeth because Elizabeth is her cousin and she thinks, oh, she's family, you know, she'll help me. But remember, Elizabeth doesn't like her because she's the next person in line. And that's a problem. So Elizabeth is much more like politically smart than Mary is. Remember, like she grew up with Henry VIII as her dad, you know, like he was killing his wives left and white. You know what I'm saying? She, Mary grew up in France with, you know, Henry II and Catherine of Medici. And it's just all very different. So she doesn't have that same background. And what happens is Elizabeth essentially manufactures like all the rumors behind Darnley's murder. She uses those to hold Mary captive um, in a bunch of prisons for basically about 20 years. And so during this time, uh, Mary's brother, James, who rebelled against her, is having the best time ever in Scotland. He is running things. Everything is amazing. He's just having a great time. And he doesn't care anything about the fact that she's in prison. So while she's in prison, um, you know, she's not having a good time. 
she apparently like you know loves dogs and singing birds and you know embroiders things in her spare time and prays because she's religious but you know she's she's in prison so she can't do a lot so she does um she gets a little bit bigger and she's apparently not as beautiful as she used to be because she's not physically exercising. Like, if you remember, this is a girl who used to go hunting and dancing for fun. So she's not doing like the same amount of activity that she used to. She starts trying to focus on getting out of prison as best she can. And so she tries to, you know, make pleas for this, but then tries to say there's a conspiracy. The problem is that Mary is a Catholic. And so a lot of the English Catholics who don't like the fact that Elizabeth is a Protestant, they focus on the fact that she's a Catholic, like, let's use this, whatever, whatever. In 1586, there was a plot to assassinate Elizabeth to start like this Roman Catholic uprising. And Queen Elizabeth believes that as long as Mary is alive, whether she was in on the plot or not, the point is that as long as she's alive, her people are going to think that, okay, she's alive, so she can take them over. So even if Mary had nothing to do with this plot, Elizabeth thinks that her being alive is the whole problem. The best thing I could compare it to, honestly, is like in Game of Thrones at the end of the first season. No, seriously, because like it applies. <laughs> in Game of Thrones, um, I believe it's like, I want to use the example of Ned because he was going to like ruin everyone's life and they had to kill him because as long as he was alive, like there was this threat to, you know, the kingdom and all that. But another example is like when Cersei blows up that church that has Marjorie and all those people that opposed her in there, like literally all of her opposition came to this church because she was supposed to have her trial there and she didn't show up at the trial, but instead she just blew up the whole church. Like this is the way that, this is the way that Elizabeth is saying. Elizabeth is Cersei in this equation minus the incest. So Elizabeth decides, you know what? She has to go. So despite the fact that Mary is literally the queen of a whole entire other country, she gets tried by an English court and she's condemned. Her son, James, who literally doesn't know him, he, ha he didn't have a relationship with her because remember when they got separated, he was only a year old. So he's trying to become, you know, the king of England. So he actually doesn't try to help her <laughs> when she's about to get executed, which is kind of fucked up. So she ends up actually getting executed in 1587 in the Great Hall at Fotheringhay Castle near Peterborough. And she's only 44 years old. So she's been through a lot in these 44 years of life. And so um, apparently it was like a terrible scene. And, you know, she met her fate with some dignity, but, you know, it's still terrible. And, um, she eventually comes to be buried in Westminster Abbey and James the first, who is her son, he ends up, you know, making sure that she's there. And after he's finally gets to the, after he finally becomes King of England, he makes this magnificent, amazing monument to his mother, Mary queen of Scots. who he just loved so much that he didn't stop her from dying. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really, uh, it's sad. It is sad because, you know, like looking over this, you can tell she was just very out of her depth, you know, like she just didn't know, she didn't know what she was doing. So basically she got sentenced on February 3rd and they decided to kind of execute her right away. 
And so February 7th of 1587, they tell her like tomorrow morning, you're going to get executed. She spent a lot of her last hours praying. She was giving out her belongings in her house and writing her will and a letter to the King of France. So, you know, she does the whole thing where she kneels down. Uh, the executors were about to do their thing. And so um, she says, I forgive you with all my heart. For now, I hope you shall make an end of all my troubles. Her, yeah, her servants actually help Mary to take off like, you know, most of her outer clothes and all that stuff. <laughs> a funny thing about Mary is that when she's getting executed, she wears like this thing of clothing, but she wears it in like this reddish brown, which is like the color of martyrs in the Catholic Church. So she's kind of trying to give like the symbolization that, you know, she's a martyr. She smiles and says, I've never had such grooms before, nor ever put off my clothes before such a company. Like she's kind of like, you know, trying to make a joke or whatever, I guess. She gets down, stretches her arms out, and her last words are um, in Latin, in manus tuas domine commendo spiritum meum, which means into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. And they get her head off with a single strike. The first blow, oh no, she's not, she's not uh, beheaded with a single strike, sorry. The first blow actually misses her neck and strikes her in the back of the head. The second blow cuts her neck except for a small bit of sinew. So basically, she becomes nearly headless Mary, okay? They did not do it the right way. So, you know, eventually the executor holds up her head and says, God save the queen. Come to find out her hair was a wig. So when he tries to hold her up by her hair, her head falls because the hair was a wig. And it comes to find out she had really short gray hair. So it was a little creepy. A little creepy. A small dog tried to like run up and like lick her head or something. It was also, it's also terrible. It's also terrible. Everything that she, her clothing, um, anything that her blood got on, they burnt it all because a lot of followers of the Catholic faith have a thing where when people die who are martyrs, they want to get anything they can to remember them by, whether it's clothes, whether it's parts of their body, like literal bones. And so obviously they can't burn her body. So they burn everything else that she has to keep that from happening. Elizabeth uh, isn't like, I don't know. She seems to, she seems to like, even though she knew what was going to happen by accusing Mary of treason, she seems to feel some type of way about the fact that it happened, I guess. I say that, like, she kind of, she signed it on February 1st. So, like, you know, she had, like, a piece of paper for, like, a death warrant and she signed it. But she puts out this story that she didn't know that they were going to do it right away. It's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to do it just, you know, the next day or whatever, however long it was after she signed it. Yeah, it's so, it's bizarre, honestly. Like, it doesn't make any sense because obviously this is what, this is what she wanted. One of the counselors who she gives the death warrant to William Davison after Mary dies, she tries to say that Davison disobeyed her and, you know, all this, all this stuff. And so she basically tries to distance herself as much as possible from the fact that she legit killed like another queen and a member of her family. Davison gets arrested. He's thrown into the Tower of London, but, uh, in, and is found guilty of misprison, misprision. Uh, misprision is a English law. That describes a certain kind of offense. Writers on criminal law use this to divide it into negative and positive. That tells me nothing, but you know, it was some shit. And so he gets released 19 months later, but like it just shows you she was trying to like, you know, 
get out of that situation. Mary had actually requested to be buried in France because that was where she grew up, but Elizabeth refused to let that happen. Her body was embalmed. They put it in the coffin. Um, she ended up being funeralized in a Protestant church service, which is really fucked up because she was um, Catholic, massive Catholic. Um, her body parts that were taken out of um, out of her body during the embalming process, they were buried somewhere secretly in the Fotheringhay Castle. Uh, when her son, King James VI, he becomes king, but he decides that he wants her body to get exhumed in 1612. And she basically gets reburied in Westminster Abbey in a chapel, actually opposite the tomb of Elizabeth. So like, and even and then Elizabeth's buried with like her sister Mary, even though like, mm-hmm. Mary couldn't stand her. Yeah, it's all like petty, petty, even in death. It comes to find out that James the First, they're trying to figure out if if he's buried there in 1867. He ends up being found uh, to be buried with Henry the Seventh, but a lot of her other descendants, um, including Elizabeth of Bohemia, Princess. Prince Rupert of the Rhine and children Anne, Queen of Great Britain, were interred in her vault as well. So it was, uh, you know, she she had a lot of interesting things going down. The family tree, I gotta say, I'm looking at the family tree and it's pretty crazy. It's a pretty wild family tree. So some of the some of the interesting people that she has on her family tree, she has Mary Stuart, who was the wife of James the Third of Scotland. She has Henry the Seventh of England, Elizabeth of York. She has Antoinette de Bourbon. She has Margaret Tudor, Henry VIII of England. She has Charles, the Cardinal of Laurent, uh, Francis, Duke of Guise. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Elizabeth I, Mary I, uh, Edward VI, Henry Stuart, James Stuart. So she's, she's very intertwined in like this British, French, Scottish, you know, triangle, pretty much. But yeah, she, she had a life and I feel bad for her because she, she really was going through it. Like, I feel so bad for her. She just had really, really shit taste in men as well. Like, obviously... With, Terrible. Like, with, with Francis, that was kind of like a match made when she was little, but she couldn't have known that he was going to, you know, die when he was 15. Fair, yeah. And I, I wonder I wonder how different her life would be if Henry VIII had been successful in getting that regency and had been successful in marrying her off to... His son Edward, like yeah, but then Edward died when he was like fifteen as well. Yeah, that's the other thing. And so I was just like, I wonder what what it would be like if she had ended up being raised in England instead of France. You know, if she had kind of gotten that same yeah. political background that would have ended up as like another Lady Jane Grey who like had the throne for like nine days before Mary the First kind of yeah. Who knows, man? It's just really, really like not telling, but interesting that a lot of the major players in that time ended up being women. Like Henry VIII thing about having a son, like he went through wives and he split from the church and everything in his quest to have a son. But in the end, it was the women of the Tudors who, you know. Right, right. And I will say that after reading like her whole life story, it almost makes me not want to see the movie because I know how it's going to end. And... It makes me sad because Elizabeth sucks. She's trash. I don't like her. Elizabeth, to be fair, like Elizabeth's upbringing and like having all these constant plots and bullshit and like having three stepmoms by the time she was eight years old. That's what kind of like influenced her. She like she saw that happen and she was like, "Yo, if I want to survive this, I've got to get rid of this girl." 
stupid men ruining everything. <sighs> yeah, um, this was really interesting. This is really interesting to me because I, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about like British royalty, except, you know, I know Henry VIII had a bunch of wives, but that's like the extent of my knowledge. I really don't know a whole lot about it. So like getting to read all this stuff is interesting. Um, and seeing how linked all these countries are with each other, like France and Spain and like Scotland. Queen, if you look up like Queen Victoria, like however many kids she had and all her descendants, basically all of like modern European royalty came from Queen Victoria. Like I think she had like descendants in like Russia and Germany and elsewhere. Yeah. So that's Mary, Queen of Scots, and Elizabeth the First. Yeah, so just um when this goes out, let us know what you thought. Submit some hometown heroes for us to talk about and just yeah. Yeah, we're so excited. I definitely am so glad that like, you know, we're on our fourth episode, like we're really getting into the swing of things. Another thing too, like if you guys have ideas for like stuff you might want us to cover in the future, you can always email us that too, along with any stories that you guys have about people in your hometown. Cause like we've planned out our episodes to a certain extent, but of course, like we always will welcome, you know, if there are some people that you guys know about that you kind of want us to cover on like a slightly bigger scale than the hometown people, like definitely let us know follow us on twitter at do you know underscore pod you can email us at do you know her podcast at gmail.com and we will see you guys for our next episode which will be coming out after christmas yeah so um happy holidays from us then yes bye guys